Would you pray with me? Father, thank you this morning. What we've sung today is so true. I pray that my brothers and sisters here in this room and at home and overflow or listening to this another time that that would just ring true in their hearts this morning. That Lord, not just when you saved us, but every moment of every day, you're at work in our hearts and lives. And for those who maybe do not seem like that is the truth, they don't sense that at this moment. They feel like maybe you're far away from them. And, or Lord, something has gone haywire and you're not hearing their prayers. Or God, I pray whatever the situation, would you meet us here this morning? Thank you that you give us your word and you want to speak to our hearts. And so, Spirit of God, I pray you'll be free to just speak to our hearts today. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, if you take your Bible, turn to 1 Peter. We'll get there in just a moment. While you're turning there, I don't know, whenever you come to church, kind of what your mindset is, like, hey, I need something today, and so I hope that guy says something today that I can use. And so I hope that um, you find that true. But I want you to uh, listen another way also. And many of you probably already do this. But I would like for you to listen for somebody else as well. And not like, hey, I'm taking notes for this person because, man, they should have been here. They needed this more than me. But what I would like for you to listen to is that you would listen, that God would maybe be speaking to you not only for your own benefit, but he would be speaking something that someday, maybe soon, as you're talking with a friend or a coworker or a neighbor, as they begin to share their life, maybe the Lord has shared something with you that then you could share with them. So I hope that you hear like Sunday school lessons and preaching and uh, if you hear things on the radio that you like to listen to, that you would listen to them not only for your own soul, but for someone else's soul also. Because the deal is, they may never listen to me or someone you listen to on the radio or your Sunday school teacher, but they might listen to you if you share the truth with them because you have the relationship with them. And so I pray that you would just really, with that mindset, go like, Lord, uh, I need this because I I'm telling you, you need what I'm going to share today. All right? Not because I'm sharing it, but it's from the Word of God. You need this. But there's somebody in your life, or maybe they're not in your life right yet, but they're going to need this as well. And you're going to be the transmitter that sends this on to them. So I hope that you will listen like that today. So I hope you will. So just to um, kind of start out this morning, this is kind of funny because I have flown this plane. That is not a remote control plane, okay? That is a real plane, and I have flown that plane. It was the most exhilarating 15 seconds of my life as I flew that. I'm telling you, it was awesome. The pilot only had to reach over at least four times to correct in that 15 seconds. But what he did is I was in the co-pilot. There was no one else in the plane, so don't freak out like, hey, what are you talking about? So uh, there was no one. I went on a flight with him. As we got off the runway, he said, here, take the wheel. Just find a spot and just fly towards it. And I need to do a little paperwork. Isn't that like um, comforting to know? 
Yeah, yeah. And so I found a spot. It was a cloud. It was a windy day also, right? I was following the cloud. But yet he kept, you know, getting me back on course. So that was the day he started talking to me about, and I don't know much about aviation, but he told me, hey, there's this thing, if you're an aviator, there's a thing called the 1 in 60 rule. In other words, what he is saying that for every one degree you're off course, all right, a plane will miss its target by one mile for every 60 miles that you fly. So in other words, if you're leaving here and flying to New York City and you're one degree off, you're not going to get to New York City. You know where you're going to get? I don't know, but you're not going to get to New York City if you're one degree off. And so what I want to talk today is getting off course. And the truth is, every one of us can get off course in our walk with the Lord. Life can help get us off course. In fact, there's probably nothing that can get us off course like sin, right? So sin can. I want to talk about that for just a minute, but then I want to get on to something else that I think will be helpful today. But in Hebrews, this says this, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day. In other words, coming to church on Sunday once a week is not enough. Right? It is an everyday thing. You and I need each other in our lives every day to be exhorting and speaking truth in our lives. So it's an everyday thing, all right, as long as it's called a day. But none of you may be hardened, and this is what I really want you to see, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful, it hardens our hearts, and you don't even realize it. That's how deceitful it is. So it's like, you know, I'm okay. This isn't doing anything to me. This isn't hurting anybody. And yet sin will get you off course more than anything because it will harden your heart, harden your mind towards the things of God, the Spirit of God, and you don't even realize it. That's why you and I every day need to be accountable to someone. We need to be speaking the truth. We need to be spending time in God's Word and asking His Spirit to speak to our hearts, helping us to stay on course. But you know, there are other things that will get you off course. And in my life, probably more than anything other than sin, which really does a good job getting me off course, but it's suffering. It's like when trial and challenge, difficulties come into life, it can get me off course faster than anything. In fact, during our season of the virus, I don't know about you, but it's, I've found myself getting off course a little bit. And yet, I should know as a believer that trials and difficult times, they're going to always be pushing me to get off course. And that's why you and I, we got to stay on course. So don't let it get you off course. In fact, there you are in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, if you will, starting in verse 18. While you're finding that, again, you probably know this, but 1 Peter was written to Christians who were in suffering like you and I can't even imagine. Many of their family members have already died, been burned at the stake, been fed to lions, in prison. 
They've lost everything they had, and so Peter's writing to them. And he says to them, starting in verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Even in the midst of this difficult time, you are to be subject, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. So that's kind of like, really pay attention. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, what Peter wants you and I to know is that suffering as a believer is part of our training in Christlikeness. Now think about it. Would you have signed up to be a follower of Christ if they told you that right off the bat? And yet that is how they did it. Man, they, you were forewarned. Following Christ was going to be a difficult thing. And following Christ is a difficult thing in our world. And suffering, difficulties, challenges, trials, they're going to come, but they are part of it. You probably know this, but it's a good reminder. Because if you've been in the middle of suffering for a while, you're like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. What is this all about? What is God doing in my life? Is there a purpose for this? Is this an accident? Did I do something wrong? Did I mess up somewhere? Am I getting punished because of this? And so all those kind of things come in mind. So I want you, if you will, take a hard right and we're going to go to the Christmas story. So go to Luke, if you will, chapter 1. In fact, it's right before the Christmas story we'll look at today. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to stay in Luke there for the remainder of our time. In Luke chapter 1, we get to meet a couple that maybe you've forgotten about. Maybe you haven't read much about them. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, Zechariah was a priest, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. In verse 6, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God... When his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or 
strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he must have seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in my days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So quite a little story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. So I have some questions I want to ask you. And what I'd like for you to do is on your notes, I'd like for you just to write them down. I mean, you can answer them out loud if you'd like, but I want you to write them down. So I want you to think about the story we've just read, and I want you to write these and think about. So these, these, this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, here's the first question. What kind of life did they live? Like, what did their life look like? As we read those passages, was there anything that stood out that talked about how their life was before the Lord? All right? So you might have put verse 6 that says, And they were both righteous before God. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's what their life was like. My second question for Elizabeth, being barren was blank. What was it like for Elizabeth? Did, did it say anything in those passages? What was it like for Elizabeth to have no children and now to be well advanced in years and still no children? What was that like? You might have looked at verse 25. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away what? My reproach among the people. And so for them, and I think probably even today, some women believe they can't have children, then it's a reproach. Many thought, well, you must have done something against God, and so God's not going to let you have children. Or they might have thought, I've done something. I'm not worthy to have children. Third question. How long have they been praying? How long have they been praying for children? Because in the temple, the angel says, your prayers have been heard. Which brings me to my next question. When did God start hearing their prayers? Like, when did he start? 
In fact, for you, you answer this to your own self. You've been praying for something for a long time, and God hasn't heard it yet. That's why he hasn't answered it yet. Right? Isn't that how that works? Like, I mean, there's 7 billion people in the world, right? And I'm sure not all of them are praying to God for whatever you're praying for. But maybe because there's so many, and you've been praying so long, and the answer has not come, he just hasn't heard you yet, right? So I guess my question would be, when did God hear their prayers? He knew it before they ever prayed. In fact, for every one of us in this room, he knows what you need before you ever even know you need it and before you even ask it. But what happens is you and I can get off course because we're thinking God hasn't heard it yet. So another question would be, and this is my last. So obviously, they've been praying a long time. They are now advanced in years. Now she's expecting it's going to be, you know who, John the Baptist. And so all that time was time wasted, right? I mean, you've thought that before, haven't you? Like, you've been praying, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. In fact, you're still waiting, and in some of your minds, you might be thinking, wasted time. So, in your mind, I just want you to answer it. Is it wasted? It's like God hasn't answered yet or hasn't brought it to the full point. So, is that time wasted is the time wasted? In fact, if you memorize Scripture at all, I would encourage you to memorize these verses. Isaiah, and I want you to read it with me if you would. In fact, you might have it memorized. If not, I want to encourage you to memorize these verses. Because it says, "For and this is God speaking. Read this with me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you probably know this, but the truth is, God always has a higher purpose than you have. You have a purpose for asking God for something. You have a purpose. You're waiting on it. And yet, maybe it's not being answered at this very moment. But the truth is, God always has a higher purpose. And I want you to read this with me. God had a higher purpose in his seemingly yet providential delay. Have you ever seen that in your life? Like you thought God was delaying. Or he got detoured somehow. Is it possible for God to get detoured? Does God delay answering? Like he's delaying because he's got to work this out and he's got to get this in place and all. Is he delaying? So his seemingly, it seems like sometimes he's delaying. Like, like, or he's not hearing, but like this delay. And yet he has a higher purpose. For, and you know this. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know this very well. You have delayed things for your children, and yet they wanted it right now. 
See, I know my three-year-old grandson wants a shotgun. I know it. I want him to have a shotgun. Um, I would like to have that shotgun to try it out for a few years before I give it to him. But the deal is the wisdom of a grandparent would be he does not need that at this moment, right? Yeah, very good. Good answer. And yet you and I have a father who is way wiser than any grandfather. And so his seemingly delay is not a delay. You and I must realize something. He has a higher purpose. Now, you might not find that very comforting, but I hope that you will put that back because if you're waiting for God to answer, you must know something. God has a higher purpose than you can even imagine. So I want you, if you will, let's talk about their son as he begins to grow up. So there in Luke, take a right, go to Luke chapter 3, if you will. Luke chapter 3, we'll pick it up in the middle of a story starting in verse 15. Luke 3, 15. It says that the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John, sir, an, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. And the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His willing fork is in his hand and cleaning the threshing floor to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, he had been reproached by him because of this woman, Herodias, his brother's wife. And for all the evil things that Herod had done, Herod had done and he added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. And so here John, he has an incredible uh, birth. He has an incredible life called by God. He, he's doing what God calls him to do, and he winds up in prison. So if you will take and go again right to John chapter 7, Luke chapter 7. Look at verse 18. So there in Luke 7, verse 18, John, he is in prison. The disciples of John report all these things about Jesus to John. And John calls two of the disciples to him. And he sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, that is Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So whether John was weary, overcome with doubt because he's in prison now, full of maybe questions like, like why is this happening to me? Like, I have this incredible call on my life, and yet now I'm in prison, and it doesn't look like I'm going to get out. In fact, he doesn't. And so why would it that he's seen all this, maybe heard the story from his parents of how he was born, all this, and how God it looked like delayed and he was born at a particular time. And, and now he's been doing the work of God. Why is it now he is in prison? Why would he ask like, hey, Jesus, like, are you the one or have we just been like just making no, no um, 
forward movement? Like, are we looking for somebody else? Are you the Messiah? So maybe why, and because I've seen this in my life, maybe it's because John's difficult circumstances just did not match up with his faithful service. So I want you to think of your own life. Have you ever experienced this? Like, you've been faithful. You've been faithful to God. And yet, your circumstances, they just don't seem like they should be like, I've been faithful, so all things should be rosy and walking on a yellow brick road. Like, I've done everything God's asked me to do, but yet life is just not working out. So maybe just some background of some people you might have heard of. Not that other people or what's going on in other people's lives is a help, because sometimes it isn't and it isn't, but just a few. A guy named John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He would preach, and they said, listen, if you don't stop preaching on the street, we're going to throw you in jail. So they threw him in jail because he wouldn't stop. And they would say to him, listen, John, you have a little girl. She's blind. Her name is Mary. And, you know, if you just stop preaching, you could get out of prison. You could go back to your work, and you could support your family, and your little child would be okay. And yet John Bunyan could not stop preaching. In fact, he would preach, and people would gather outside the walls of the prison to hear him preach. And so to shut him up, they put him in the deepest part of the jail, which is the sewer. It's just the sewer. It's not some elaborate lounge, right? It's the sewer of the prison. They put him down there where no one could hear him preach. And, of course, that's when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. You might have heard of a guy named David Brainerd. He was a missionary to American Indians. But at the same time, he had tuberculosis. In fact... The testimonies of the Indians would be they would find David Brainerd face down in the snow and all the snow around him was blood red because he was coughing literally up his lungs as he was crying out to God for their salvation. David Brainerd died at 29 years old. I wonder if David or John ever thought, Man, my circumstances aren't lining up with what I thought would be a faithful service to God. Or maybe like David Livingston, who really mapped out Africa for the missionaries. As he went there, he left his family. And while he was there, he got so sunburnt, it said that they baked his skin so that it looked like leather. He was attacked by a lion, which tore up one of his shoulders, and so he was crippled. And after about five years, someone found him somewhere in Africa and brought his wife to visit him. And as they walked into the camp, she didn't even recognize her own husband because he was sunbaked, crippled from a lion attack. And yet I wonder if David ever thought, man, life I wish would be a little bit easier because I'm being faithful to God, but life's just difficult. Or Jim Elliott, who died at 29 years old, and never got to see what his mission was. To take the gospel, but yet he was killed before he ever saw anything take place. Or you know, with missionaries, someone like William Carey, 
when they got on a ship to go to the other country. So for William Carey, it was India. So when they would go get on a ship, they were told, you need to build your own coffin, and that's what you put all your stuff that you were going to take with you on your trip, because more than likely, you're never coming home. And so if you felt called to missions or the ministry or anything, and yet the requirement was, well, build your own coffin first, then... Or here's one that really gets me. I, I, when I think of this, I wonder how many missionaries over the years thought, man, these difficult circumstances and my faithful service just don't match up. Some of you might be old enough to remember in the church maybe you grew up having a food barrel. So the church I grew up in, we had a food barrel. And what we would do is we would bring extra food. When it got full, they would take it like to the homeless shelter. But when I was real small, and some, uh, some of you even older than me might remember, they used to have what's called a missionary barrel at church. And it would be like out in the foyer. Whenever it would get full of things, they would put that lid on it, and then they would ship it overseas to their missionary. And yet, the tragedy of it is a list of things that were put in that barrel came back from the mission field, like clothes that had holes in it or missing buttons or broken zippers and they would go well I can't use it well let's put it in the missionary you know barrel the missionaries they can use it but probably the one thing on the list that got me the most was used tea bags you know I I used this tea bag once I bet the missionaries can get another use out of that and so throw it in the missionary barrel so you wonder when the missionary opened that up you wonder if he ever thought, man, I'm getting these used tea bags. That really doesn't line up with the faithful service I've been given, right? The truth is, every one of you and me can feel like this. It'll get you off course if you don't watch out. Here's another one. John had unfulfilled expectations. Verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, he sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come? Shall we look or should we expect another? He had these unfulfilled expectations. And some of you in this room are listening to me. I tell you, I've been there. Like I've been expecting God to do a particular thing in a particular time and yet it didn't happen. And so what do you do with that? So just for a minute, I, I just want to share a few things. I have, I have seen in my own life, maybe these will help you. And it, here's how I would put it. What can you expect from God? So you have his word, and you know you can expect some things. He has told you, but here's maybe some that maybe you haven't thought of. Here's the first one. It will happen in his time, not yours. God's timing is always perfect, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He makes all things beautiful in their time. He has a particular time, but it's often not your time. 
And so we, we live on time, and we want God to live on our time. But the truth is, you can probably expect it will not happen in your timing. And so that means you'll probably have to wait. You'll probably have to wait in faith. And second one, it will be done in a way that brings God, Him, the most glory and us the most good. You can expect that whenever God does something, whatever He does in your life, whatever He's doing, He is going to do it where He will get the most glory. So maybe a prayer while waiting for that thing to happen would be, God, I know you're going to do that, but would you help me wait because I want you to get the most glory. Because the truth is, when God gets the most glory, that is the most good for you and I, right? Whenever he gets the most glory, that is the best good for you and I. And so it would be God, whatever it would take. If you will, look over in the quotes. There's one by a guy named Chambers. You might have heard of him. Listen to this quote. Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. You must have deliberate confidence in his character in whose ways at the moment you may not understand. The third one, it will accomplish what he wants whether you see the purpose of it or not. Have you ever told God, when I can see the purpose of this, I'll be good with it? Jim Elliott never saw the purpose of it. They did find that tribe. They did get the gospel to them, but he never saw it to the fruition. He never saw it. And the truth is, you and I may never see it. John the Baptist, he didn't get to see it. They took his head off before he got to see all that Jesus had done. And it might accomplish what he wants, whether you see the purpose. So that means you and I need to have just a resolute, hey, listen, God, if I see the purpose or not, I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to trust you whether I see the purpose or not. Here's my last one. What John saw and what you and I often see is only what? It's only part of the story. It's only part of the story. People all through the Old Testament, that's why you ought to read the Old Testament. Because what? They only saw part of the story. They didn't get to see the whole thing, but they still trusted God. You might never see the rest of the story. It's only part of the story. In fact, again, if you will, look at a quote. It's a quote by John Tripp. I want you, if you will, take your pencil. I want you to underline a particular line in this. And it goes like this, the best theology will not remove mystery from your life. The best theology will not remove the mystery from your life. So rest is found in trusting the one who rules is all, and I want you to underline this last, and knows no mystery. The truth is, you and I might live the rest of our life. There might be some mystery there. We never, never hear what God wants to do with that particular thing or what the purpose, why that weight and all that. But the truth is, he knows no 
mystery at all. Jesus' life, it's a display, isn't it? How he truly, fully trusted God. Through the whole deal, he just wanted to do his will, fully trusted. Fully entrusting himself to whatever God had. We already read that. He committed no sin because he what? He was entrusting himself to him who judges right. In Jesus' life, he trusted him to fulfill that plan, and he followed it. I want you, if we will, one more time, take a right in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Jesus has lived his whole life. He's been living it perfectly. He's been living an incredible example, fulfilling all of God's law. He is perfectly qualified to be the perfect sacrifice for you and I. He has lived his life before these people. You and I have the scriptures to see how he lived his life. In verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until the filling of the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he divided it among their, themselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Verse 22. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. You see, Jesus' life, you and I get to see it. That he, even though the Son of God, he had limited He limited himself, and he trusted God's plan. And he kept going, and he kept going, and he kept going to the very end for you and I. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but Galatians chapter 4 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, literally means full term. See, God has a full term for every one of us. And when the full term, when the perfect time had come, it says that God brought forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So even in Jesus' life, you and I see God's timing is always perfect Salvation was accomplished in a way that brought God the most glory. And for those of us in this room that have trusted Christ, has brought us the most good. Why? Because we were adopted into his family. And the truth is, it is for your good too if you've never come to Christ. If you have never trusted Christ. If you have never bent like the knee of your heart to submit to the Lordship of Christ. It's no mistake you're here. Or it's no mistake that you're listening. That you could hear once again that God deeply and dearly loves you. And He lived His life perfectly in your place. 
and in my place. And he died a perfect death in your place and my place. And he rose again from the dead, proving that he is God and offering adoption into his family. And this morning, as we are going to just take some time and remember the Lord in communion, I, I just want to invite you, if you have never trusted Jesus, there's no greater time. It's no accident that you hear the gospel once again this morning. In fact, as you came in this morning, you should have got one of these little cups. If you did not, you can raise your hand. And if you didn't get one, we'll get one to you. But I just want to kind of give you some instructions that you can peel the very top off. And there will be the little wafer. So if you would just do that and if you would grab that. And I wonder, as you get that, if you would just bow your heads for a moment. You'd close your eyes. And maybe just consider what we've been talking about today. Maybe you've been off course a little just because you've been waiting on God. The difficulties, the trials in life at this moment have gotten you off course a bit. I just want you to know, God wants you to know, He hears you, He knows what's going on, He deeply cares for you, He is working out His plan, even though it might not be in your timing, and in the particular way that you would choose, but even in our remembrance this morning, May even taking this communion once again be a reminder. God is all wise. He's all powerful. He loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't put you aside. It's not like he has not heard your prayer. And one day when he does hear it, he already knows. He's heard your prayers. He might be answering them differently that will accomplish His will in a greater way than you could ever imagine. So maybe even our communion this morning would be, once again, Father, even in this quiet time of remembering Your life, Your sacrifice, that You are a living Savior you are our salvation, not just when we trusted you for the first time, but at every moment, you are our salvation. And so, Lord, maybe even as we take time to remember you, you would help us to renew our trust in you and to get back on course. So, Father, help us to remember, to consider. For some of us, it might be a deliberate choice to trust you in the midst of a time. Can't even fathom this would be happening. But I'll trust you in the midst of it.